And this is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 192, about Daredevil 307, Aftermath. Welcome back, fellow Defenders. This is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 192, about the seventh episode of the third season of Daredevil, Aftermath. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Hi, I'm one of your other hosts, John. And rounding out the group, I'm Chris. Should know who we all are by now. Seven episodes yeah. into uh, into Daredevil season three and 192 episodes into our coverage of the Defenders shows on Netflix. So should know our voices by now, but just in case. Okay, I was going to say, so we don't have to do the intros anymore? <laughs> Great. <laughs> Still good, just in case. You never know. Okay. You never know. This could be one of those episodes that people just hop on and listen to uh, out of context and out of order to see who everybody is and see what's going on. Uh, it does have a lot going on in the episode. Some big revelations and some big moments. True. Secret basements. Yes. Well, is it really a basement if it's not a basement? If it's just a floor down? <laughs> but I guess everything is his basement when you live in the penthouse apartment, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I was a little confused by his secret lair, to be honest. Um, was it in another room or was it in a service hatch, like completely secret? How were they able to still track that he was in his bedroom with his like tag around his ankle? Mm-hmm. When, unless it's directly underneath, I suppose, maybe. Yeah. So it think- still shows up as though he's in that space, but yeah. It did look like they were just monitoring the room and it was a, a kind of a two-dimensional space rather than a 3D space. So he's directly below his bed is what it yeah. feels like. But anyway, the, this uh, is our spoiler-filled discussion of 307. Hopefully you've watched the episode. Um, let's get into the details of it. If, you, if this is the first time you're joining us for our podcast about Daredevil, you can go over and get every one of the podcasts we've done so far over at our website at DefendersTVPodcast.com. Subscribe to the podcast over there. Leave us your thoughts by voicemail at the right-hand tab where it has a leave voicemail button. Um, or you can email us at feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com with any of your thoughts about the rest of the season of Daredevil. Excellent stuff. Derek, what are some of the episode details? Well, the episode is named Aftermath, obviously, as the aftermath of what happened in last week's episode after the attack on the bulletin. This is everything that happens afterwards. Simple uh, reasoning for that name. <laughs> <laughs> the episode was directed by Tao Fraser. We spoke about uh, this New Zealand director earlier on this year uh, because he directed episode three of Iron Fist season two, This Deadly Secret. What are your favorites, John? The awesomely tense dinner party with all of the characters sitting around the table yes. kind of attacking each other. <laughs> the dinner party from hell, no less. Mm. Yes. Spaghetti being thrown at the wall in that usual way to see whether it's cooked or not. I don't know whether anyone does that anymore. Was that like kind of a that was a thing in the 80s, wasn't it, really? Or so. maybe even the 90s, that this is the best way to test whether spaghetti is done rather than simply eat it. You know, food waste and all. <laughs> Nice. Good memory, John. Good memory. Uh, this episode was written by Sarah Stryker. Um, first time on the Daredevil show, uh, but Sarah was a staff writer on this entire season of Daredevil. Uh, gets the sole credit for this particular episode, but previously she was a creative assistant on Drunk History, which is pretty interesting way to get into the Marvel TV shows through Drunk History. A very funny comedy show, I must say. Well, yeah, I, something I've never seen. Uh, but John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for the episode? Yup. Daredevil is crucified by both the press and the public in the aftermath of the bloody attack on the Bulletin. For Karen, her conflict between Matt, the media, and the truth is very real. Not only is she unable to convince Ray Nadine that this was not the true Daredevil, but she is unable to reveal to her injured and angry boss, Mitchell Ellison, 
the true identity of the devil of Hell's Kitchen and is forced to quit the newspaper. While the panting red-faced Foggy believes he has worked out Wilson Fisk's plans, Matt Murdock, angry at putting his friends in harm's way and worried about the skill of the pretend Daredevil, visits the only person that could have made the Daredevil suit, Melvin Potter. As Matt goes with Potter to his new workshop, he confirms that Fisk forced him to create the suit again. He also reveals that the imposter is an FBI agent, just before he, under instruction from Fisk, tries to frame Matt as the Daredevil. With FBI agents closing in, Matt Murdock manages to escape. Meanwhile, after investigating Jasper Evans, FBI Special Agent Nadim suspects the FBI paid too high a price for Fisk's cooperation, believing that Fisk is manipulating them. Back at his home, he is confronted in his basement by an uninvited guest. It is all about the basements this time, isn't it? Yes, it is all about the base. <laughs> nice. uh, and welcome back, Potter. We will definitely be talking about Melvin Potter, the return of one of our favourite characters from the Daredevil shows. Uh, he's been a really interesting character throughout the last couple of seasons. But we talked about him in a minute. Let's get into our top five case notes, guys. Chris, let's start off with case note number one. An early night for Wilson Fisk. Yes, much like me, uh, Fisk is now known for early nights. Um, yeah, no, this was an interesting one. We were wondering how he was getting around a lot of this. Mm. Um, so we do know he has no camera in his bedroom, yep. which seems like a bit of a faux pas by the uh, FBI. It's a little oversized, isn't it? Yeah, just a slightly. Yeah, it's just well. like It doesn't need to be pointed at his bed, but at least in the room somewhere. So exactly. That yeah. he's there. I don't know. I wonder whether the terms of his release mean that, yeah, he's not going to be spied on whilst he's in bed doing untold damage. We have talked about Ben Donovan and his ability to write amazing documents, uh, legal documents. So True. look at that apartment and look at everything that he's gotten back as well. So. Absolutely. Yeah. But no white rabbit in a snowstorm. Mm-hmm. Still, the ownership is contested. And I believe it was owned by Vanessa previously, so who is contesting this? Absolutely. I wondered what the significance of that kind of almost throwaway line was, actually, that he's not able to get the actual one bit of artwork that he wants to have back, which is the rabbit in the snowstorm, Mm -hmm. and it's contested. Yet, I also thought it was kind of owned by Vanessa. Or was it? I mean, I just don't know. I was just wondering what the significance of this is. So, or was it owned by a gallery or something yeah, like that? Something yeah, something like yeah. that. I must say, I loved his lawyer explaining that, where he's going, yeah, that is contested. So what we could do is we could use this to, to go against the FBI and get some more information out of them, get some more stuff out of them, basically. And Fisk was like, nope. I want the painting back. You do not <laughs> understand that this is part of the deal. You can see the, the, see the lawyer kind of going, mm, maybe he won't notice if this painting particularly doesn't appear in the apartment. We've got everything else for him. Maybe he won't notice. <laughs> uh, really. And speaking of everything else, they mm-hmm. even got a secret hatch. Yes. Bond villain style. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, you know what? I'm just going to go into my walk-in dressing room and touch a button under the shelf and boom, magical door. And you're like, okay. Yeah, I was kind of like, oh my goodness. It's so obvious when you think about it as to how he was able to control everything. Mm-hmm. Um, That there was this kind of secret Bond-esque kind of hatch down into his kind of center of operations yeah. where... Yeah, you have the um, you know evil secretary or office manager, should I say, Miss Shelby, um, 
she kind of seems like that stormtrooper type person who really shouldn't be doing that kind of work. <laughs> she should be like, I don't know, um, doing something else. She should have another job somewhere else. She seems a little too uh, clean cut to be in some kind of secret base of Wilson Fisk. I got the feeling like this is supposed to be his Oracle, which is a DC reference for all of our DC fans. Mm-hmm. Like she's the lady in the chair because she's got a, a typing brace for her wrist. Yes. Yeah. So I was like, is she a hacker? Is Shelby some like super hacker for him that he's hired? And I'm like, okay, now I'm just reading into stuff. <laughs> Probably the actress fell over while what on the way to the <laughs> filming and they're like, okay, it's fine. Just stick this brace on you. We'll, we'll, we'll say it's this. <laughs> I think that works, Chris. No, I think, I think the typing brace works. Now I read it completely wrong. I did actually think it was some kind of basement. I kind of forgot that he was in a penthouse apartment and I was going, does she live there? But this does explain why um, his company or the the holding companies have bought the hotel months and months before he ever got released from prison. So they were doing this work to set up this area for Wilson Fisk before installing him into this penthouse apartment. So um, so it's not like they've just built it in the last couple of days. It is there. And also, it's something that we didn't mention in the big prison fight scene with Matt Murdock. Wilson Fisk does make a call to him from a room where he's able to watch monitors. We didn't even make a comment on that, but this is the room that he was sitting in, obviously, this secure area where he's not being monitored by the FBI. Yeah, and he has his tentacles kind of spread far and wide and pretty deep as well, uh, given that, you know, he, he seems to have access to, like, a lot of different sort of um, security camera feeds. Mm. He's got to the news feed. And um, this is definitely, as you say, Chris, almost like an, an oracle. This is uh, this is Jarvis of Wilson Fisk kind of going yes. off, even to the point where we see it slightly later as well, with Nadim sort of questioning the prison warden, who then lawyers himself up. So, yeah, there's no doubt about it that this really helps to highlight that. You know, all those early nights for Fisk, uh, it allows him to um, get ahead of the game, to get those few steps ahead of the FBI because he's got all his intel directly beneath his um, his bedroom. The only thing I would say, the oversight of the FBI, whatever about not putting a camera in his bedroom... I can understand. I mean, okay. they do it on Big Brother, don't they? They just don't have it in the toilet. So maybe, they do yeah, it on the maybe it's well right. Big Brother. So, yeah. um, so maybe they should have done that. Yeah, but mm-hmm. also they should have at least have the the rooms or the space immediately above and below also under their control. Yes, it definitely smacks that there is something that they, that has been arranged uh, for Wilson Fisk, where yeah. the FBI have not stuck to their plan as well as they normally would have. Uh, I'm getting the feeling there's more and more involvement by other agents, but that's saying that now it's not, I, we can get into it later, but I do not believe Nadim mm-hmm. is involved anymore at all, nope. but potentially, potentially his boss. But I think even that's now a stretch slightly. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the really cool thing is, is just seeing that creepy smile on Fisk's face because mm-hmm. he goes blank when he's at the door, front door of his apartment and he says, I'm going to bed. And they go, I think the other FBI agent comes in, there's something coming on or it was the over the radio or something. So he doesn't smile. He's very stoic all the way until he gets down and hears and sees the news stories about the bulletin and everything like that. Mm-hmm. That, that just weird, creepy 
slightly right lip twisted up <laughs> kind of grin. I was like, oh, oh, Vincent, only you can do that. It's yeah. so good, isn't it? It's seeing Wilson Fisk really see the impact of what he's been doing, everything that he's been doing. He's able to now monitor it through the TV, watch all of these news channels reporting on uh, what's happened at the bulletin, him sending his version of Daredevil down there to kill all the people that are there um, and hopefully get what he wants out of the situation. Um, it is a bit sad that we don't get to see uh, Thembi Wallace, who's been the presenter of uh, WJBP-TV. Uh, we don't get to see her as one of the presenters on these TV channels, given that she's been so present throughout Luke Cage. She's been in uh, some of the other shows before, including Daredevil before. Um, we do get to see WHIH News, uh, which is the news channel that we've seen on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. in uh, Iron Man, all the way through the movies and all the way through the TV shows, but it just felt really weird given Thembi Wallace has been so present over the years on these shows that she wouldn't be the woman on the scene for this report, uh, unfortunately. But at least we get a little connection to the Marvel Cinematic Universe again. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I think that's because the actress is um, filming something at the moment. Mm-hmm. I just need to try and check that, so I will come back to that at a later point in this episode. It is just such a shame for the continuity to not have the character in there because it's only, you know, it only takes a couple of minutes to get her on that screen and have her there like they've done in the previous series. Anyway, that's just a, a small aside from myself. And here's Chris from the future just reporting that uh, Tijana Ricks, um, who does play, as we said, Tembi Wallace, she's filming Billions at the moment. Ah, very cool. So that's, or she was filming Billions when they would have been filming this. Ah, okay. Working with James Wesley himself. Yes. So there we go. That is Chris from the future. Diddle-oo, 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 diddle-oo. <laughs> that was a Wayne's World mm-hmm. reference. We got it. We're old enough, man. Yeah. No, <laughs> I just, for the rest of the kids are beautiful fellow defenders. Some may not understand it. <laughs> Um, let's get on to case note number two, because we have Melvin Potter returning with his wonderful suits. John? Yes, Melvin Potter, the half-blood prince. <laughs> yes, Melvin Potter is back with his wonderful suits. Um, yeah, this this was really nice. I mean, we did speculate who is the possibly the only person that could have made those suits or, or made the suit for Poindexter, and that is... Uh, Melvin Potter and it's really good to see him him back here and we also get to see Betsy as well uh, for the first time his parole officer I think that's a really nice touch here because she's been just mentioned all the time by Melvin Potter you know she's been the person that Wilson Fisk has had um has been able to hook Melvin Potter with you know that he will go after her kill her harm her uh, kidnapper, you name it, if Melvin Potter doesn't do uh, what uh, Wilson Fisk demands. And here, Wilson Fisk demands so much that he is asking Melvin to do another suit and builds him another new studio, which we find out um, Melvin had destroyed so that he couldn't or didn't have to work for Wilson Fisk ever again. I suppose Melvin thought that with Wilson behind bars, that was the end of it. Little, as I say, did he know that the tentacles of Fisk would reach out of Rikers Island uh, into his life still. So I know Potter gets a lot of criticism for the fact that he's not he's not of full intelligence, but I think the idea that he burnt down his own workshop so that he wouldn't have to work for Wilson Fisk again actually is quite an interesting plan on his side. It feels like he wouldn't have thought that in the past. As you say, he would have gone, well, Wilson Fisk's in jail, therefore I won't have to work for him again. So maybe he would have just left his workshop there, but he burnt it down so that he wouldn't be called upon again in case this happened in the future. So that's quite an intelligent move, I think, from from Potter, isn't it? Definitely. Um, I, I think, uh, I, I feel as though he, 
he made the choice to leave that life behind yeah. once Fisk um, kind of had been arrested. And now he's embroiled back in this. And again, he's doing everything that Fisk uh, wants him to do to ultimately put it behind him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do like uh, the fact that he does try to betray Matt Murdock here, that again, Wilson Fisk is that one step ahead um, to, to tie Matt Murdock to the Daredevil suit. Uh, we see uh, Melvin Potter bring him to his new workshop and then kind of lock him up um, as the FBI arrive. Again, probably tipped off by someone uh, deep within the FBI uh, in order to frame Matt Murdock again. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think one of the great things about that was I did like the fact that Matt managed to break the lock that, that Melvin had put on, on the gate. And so the, there was this fight not only between Melvin and Matt Murdock, um, and you, you know, you learn a few other elements in, in this moment that the, the suit was made for someone who was with the FBI, that it was obviously conf- confirmation that Wilson Fisk, uh, was behind it and again behind trying to frame Matt Murdock again. But, uh, you know, I think Matt really becomes quite unforgiving here. Um, and, and we see that a bit in this episode anyway. Um, you know, he says, well, Melvin's, He's made his bed. He has to lie in it now. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he's sided with Wilson Fisk. So that moment where the FBI take Potter, Matt just slinks into the shadows. I thought that was a really nice touch, actually. So, yeah, it was a really good moment to have Melvin Potter back and, and kind of the complication that I think that brings. Mm-hmm. I don't think um, Melvin's slow. He does... As our case note says, build some wonderful suits. Mm-hmm. Like he, I think he's, and he's so he's he's definitely genius level intellect because he's building suits that are not your average tail three piece tailored suit. Yeah, yeah. I think I think Betsy mentions it later on. I think we'd probably say he's on the spectrum. He's he's on the autistic spectrum. Exactly. He's able to focus uh, specifically on building these amazing suits, but he is slow in other sides of his personality i think is where what betsy's saying she specifically calls out in her mind that matt murdoch and wilson fisk are the same type of person because both of them abuse the good side of melvin potter to get him to do the bad things that they want him to do exactly and that's kind of where i was heading with that which i think Mm -hmm. um the fact that he burned down i think he's as you said he's on the spectrum he's superbly genius level intellect on certain things mm-hmm. uh when it comes to people or um reading emotions and things like that he's not so good and i don't like this matt mm-hmm. yeah. i think that's what we're supposed to be taking from this is that the old matt would have saved melvin yeah yeah and also he didn't take his um billy clubs he had billy clubs and he doesn't take them with him. Yeah, yeah, no, he absolutely says uh, to Melvin when he offered a new suit, he says, I've gone beyond that. I'm no longer that person anymore that needs weapons and needs armor to cover my body. I am back to being the man in black. I am the knight. Pretty, yeah. pretty much, yeah. pretty much. But also very telling, he turns around to Melvin when he is locked behind bars and says to Melvin, there is no life for a person like Betsy in your life anymore. Yeah. You've gone beyond that effectively putting on Melvin Potter what he's put on himself. He's had to give up everything that he's connected with, every family member, every friend. He's had to give them all up so that he can live the life that he lives. And he feels Melvin should have to do the same if he's going to continue to make suits for Wilson Fisk. If he's going to continue to work for Wilson Fisk, he needs to give up 
all of his connections as well. So again, very telling the mental state that Matt Murdock is in at the moment. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because he he's had a go at Sister Maggie as well, mm-hmm. right at the start saying, you know, this is your fault. You were the one that told me to effectively give yourself up. You know, um, you spoke with my friends. And, and Matt really puts a lot of blame uh, onto her for the fact that Wilson Fisk really is um playing out his plans in, in a way that only he knows and the others haven't anticipated yeah 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 for me i really thought that it, there was a similarity here between matt's treatment of, of melvin and his kind of slightly uncompromising treatment of sister maggie as well in terms of uh, applying the blame i thought that was really interesting and i would kind of go with with chris here yeah this is not the Matt Murdock or the Daredevil that w- we would have seen from season one or two. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so look, I, I kind of to wrap up on the, the, this case note number two, it, it's great. And of course, just a quick Easter egg that Melvin Potter is wearing his gladiator t-shirt. Mm-hmm. It's very the same design as on his, uh, the, the, the costume he would wear in the comic book. So yeah, nice yeah. comic book nod. No, that's cool. And he has some pretty good gladiatorial moves on those FBI, uh, SWAT team as well. I, I, I did like it. the face plant into the sort of the, the pile of, uh, uh, crates. Um, it was really, really cool. Yeah. It felt like he was the wrestler versus Matt's boxer. That's what it really felt yes. like at moments in there. Um, I wonder, does he have a wardrobe of those T-shirts? Because I know he wore the exact same T-shirt back in season one and in season two as well. So I wonder, is it like Wilson Fisk's wardrobe where he just has all of those T-shirts lined up for uh, when he's going to go down and work at the workshop, he's going to dress in his stilt man gear? <laughs> yeah, <think>? probably. <laughs> he also has the, the blade from the circular saw, which was on his gauntlets in the comic books. Very cool. So he does fight Matt with that. So very cool. But I think very much what we're learning here is that Matt is getting even harder. He doesn't want any human interactions, mm-hmm. any attachments whatsoever. So as he kind of goes forward, we're going to see that he does not care mm-hmm. about who he hurts. So moving on to case number three, unless you guys have anything else you want to talk about? No. No, absolutely. So case number three, which was a fun one for me, because I think this really showed off some fantastic acting and some fantastic character work. The aftermath for Foggy and Karen. Yeah, Foggy gets red-faced and out of breath. Because he runs up the, the stairs. Okay, that we, we get what you're trying to say. I, I get you. I'm down with that. He did a lot of exercise. Yeah, indeed. It clears his head, so he he's able to piece together uh, a few... Bits and bobs that seemingly have fallen out of Marcy's bag. And I really thought all of a sudden that she was going to be a Wilson Fisk plant here. That we're going to get this revelation that um, little Foggy Burr had been um, duped here, really. Yeah. Uh, it's a really confusing moment, isn't it? Because we've yeah. seen this type of storyline before in previous Defender shows where... A person sees their partner's documentation and realizes, oh, no, actually, they work for the bad guys. You know, um, we've seen this done many times before. And because of how it's stretched out over the episode, you're kind of going, is is Marcy a bad guy? Is is she working for Fisk? Because he seems to have everybody else in his pocket. Does he have her as well? You know, um, but I love the kind of demented side of Foggy as he's trying to piece stuff together. You see how good a lawyer he is because he's you know surrounded by all of these papers all around him as he's trying to piece together what his theory on what's happening. Yeah, it was just, it was very beautiful mind moment-esque for yeah. Foggy. Yeah. But we do, I like how the kind of, the whole thing starts, which is, he's the counsel for Karen. Mm-hmm. And we see Agent Nadim still trying to push basically the storyline that Fisk wants, exactly. which is 
this is Daredevil, he did it all, not willing to listen to anything. Mm-hmm. And actually, again, we see Karen, while Nadim is, I wouldn't say interviewing, well, interviewing, but not kind of like with a charged interview. And like he hasn't put out, they haven't put any charges against Karen or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. She does bring up like Red Lion and all the clues that she's laid at his feet. Mm-hmm. And it's like, have you even looked at them yet? And he goes, no, not yet. And you're like, well, that like they are not looking at any other direction other than the way Fisk is pointing them at this point. Yeah, I know what you mean. And it does kind of strike me how bad an investigator Nadim is coming across here. You know, we've seen someone as amazing as Misty Knight has written throughout previous shows where she walks into a, a, a situation, reads the situation, and then makes up her mind on what she wants to investigate. Whereas Nadim has been pointed down these directions and won't give them up. He's tenacious about the direction he's been pointed in, as opposed to being tenacious about something that he's discovered. And it's starting to backfire on him. Um, as we get through this episode, we see that he's realizing that Karen may be right here and he is starting to believe her story. There's no reason why he shouldn't have believed it from the first moment she came in. She's been, yeah. you know, she's been an upstanding member of the community. She's a reporter for a newspaper who's previously investigated these stories before. And he's realizing, hang on, maybe we have been manipulated. And if I report that, then I'm going to lose everything. We're going to lose all of the people that we've arrested. We're going to lose everything that's happened since we brought Wilson Fisk into custody and released him from prison. Yeah, and I think that's very much the the, the crux of everything now that we've kind of seen, which is Nadim doesn't want to do this because it will call into question all the Albanians. Mm-hmm. It will call into question all of the um, political people. I think it was like the mayor's secretary and the, the, there was a lo- there was a laundry list of corrupt officials that were arrested in that f- opening scene where they they kind of arrest the Albanians mm-hmm. and Mother Teresa. And you get the feeling with the amount of things that have been returned to Wilson Fisk that things that we haven't seen potentially he's also been giving up other people as well. It's not just the Albanians. Um, it yeah. feels like he's now going down his whole list of everybody and he's been giving those up over and over again, it seems like this is a huge collar for Nadim to have gone through. And if he loses that, he kind of loses his career because this was kind of his last chance to get to where he's achieved in his career. So yeah, yeah. and it's what that's what Foggy kind of figures out um, after his uh, his jaunt with Marcy. They do say that this survivor intercourse is a thing. Which I never knew. Yeah, it's kind of like survivor's guilt, really. Well, the, well, and it's the adrenaline and, yes, and all this exactly. kind of stuff. Well, to roll it back, out. to be honest, before he, they even have sex, the whole thing that's happening here with Foggy is that he's proposing to Marcy. He's going, I almost died last night. I want to spend my re- the rest of my life with you. All I could think about was I'll never see you again. It, it is a really human moment. Yeah, I, I totally believe that this is exactly what would happen if you get home after a night where you feel you could have died. Um, you're going to throw yourself in the arms of the person you love, of course. You know, it totally makes sense as a as a moment for these two characters. I'm glad she says no. Like, I, I, I'm, yeah. I'm glad. I, I think it's... Well, she puts the brakes on, doesn't she? She's kind of like, just, whoa, whoa, Romeo, yeah. hold, your, hold the horses. You've just gone through a traumatic thing. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to take the, the proposal at this moment. So, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a really interesting moment. I think Foggy and Karen here just, it just really shine. And I do like the interaction with Nadim as well. You know, he is caught between a rock and a hard place. He's gotten his promotion coming through. Mm-hmm. Uh, yet at the same time, he's now being asked to follow up on those very things that got him that promotion. Um, and call into question the fact that he may have blindly followed 
Wilson Fisk's um, uh, tip-offs rather than simply maybe looking at them a bit more critically. So I, it, it's really interesting, and I think that's that's his reticence here from going down that avenue. Uh, but nonetheless, he has been told this, and I like the fact that Karen reiterates her leads that she has come uh, to to find out uh, back while she's being interviewed by yeah. him following the Bulletin kind of massacre, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, I think that's really, really good. Definitely, definitely. Let's go on to a bit more about Karen, but just one moment in the episode that I really, really enjoyed is when herself and Foggy are standing in uh, the FBI station and you see all of the phones laid out oh, in the plastic yeah, yeah. bags, ringing and text messages coming in. People going to voicemail, obviously, for their family members who are in hospital or are just missing at the moment, or their phones are just missing at the moment. Um, but that moment with Karen, when she's realizing the impact of what's happened to all the other people that didn't escape the previous night's events, um, it's really, really good and does lead us into Karen going into a pretty dark place. Um, for our case note number four, Karen making her phone call home, finally, after a few years now since we've had any kind of discussions about what's happening in the past or happened in the past with with her family but um these phone calls that she hears drive her to go to the hospital foggy asking you know are you are you sick are you hurt did, did we miss something and she's going no but i'm the only one that isn't hurt i've got to go and see what's happened to the rest of the people that i work with the bulletin her moment with ellis to begin with should we start there yeah well before we she even goes into the room mm-hmm. as she goes into the room some of the the staff are blaming her the the lady who walks out with Alice, which was another one of, I believe, his reporters, senior mm-hmm. reporters. Yeah, she gives a, a really nasty Bold, looking look, stare. Nasty yeah. look and stare and like kind of almost like a shoulder a shoulder bump. Um, so they they the rest of the staff do blame Karen for this massacre, mm-hmm. or they she brought the wolf to the door by bringing the lamb inside. Very much kind of that is the, the approach you're taking. So first of all, we get that sense. And then, yeah. Uh, yeah, as you say, she goes into Ellis and this gets tough. Like it is an interesting one, isn't it? Because it, we do have that moment from Ellison where he's saying this is everyone in Hell's Kitchen's fight. This whole concept, this whole thing of taking down Wilson Fisk is everybody's fight. But it does feel like he had that choice. Karen had that choice. Um Jasper Evans had that choice. Obviously, Foggy and Matt have that choice. But it feels like the other people that are the collateral damage within the bulletin didn't have that choice. And that's why Karen's getting the blame. Um, that's what it feels like. We ha- we hear the story of one of the reporters who, unfortunately, is brain damaged and is just being kept alive by machines. And the decision is being made as to whether that machine gets turned off and, and they die. Um, that's the conversation they're having as Karen arrives. So understandably it's a really tough conversation and all of those people were just there doing their jobs um the night that this happened so yeah kind of see why they have this challenging moment with karen when she arrives if it wasn't for her this wouldn't have happened and they didn't get a choice whether they were in the building or not yeah and what transcribes is obviously karen not not holding her feelings or her emotions back on her face too well um and ellis (laughs) kind of investigating and understanding that no, Karen knows who is who Daredevil is. Well, yeah, she does make the fundamental mistake of saying that guy wasn't Daredevil, yeah. which kind of does express that you know exactly who Daredevil is. <laughs> if you if you say that too often, people are going to look at you and go, "Well, obviously you know who Daredevil is." Then clearly, it's not yeah. just because you bumped into him in the street once well, yeah. uh, in the past. It's because you know exactly who he is. 
Yeah, it's it's the automatic question comes as to well, why would you say that? Why do you think that? Um, and of course, like for Ellison, his immediate logic would say that that is because, given uh, Karen's background, she knows something about the true identity of Daredevil. I I like how with this scene, Ellison really flips actually mm-hmm. uh, you know he goes from rip being like we're all in this together the fight against fisk is everyone's fight it's not your fault karen to then really turning on her because she won't give this information that will allow them to all go after wilson fisk within the newspaper to publish uh, this so he really does turn on her like it's an interesting thing I, i'm not I don't know kind of the journalistic code very well, but I mean, it is that thing is, do you give up your sources? So, you know, in this instance is the fact that Matt Murdock is Daredevil, uh, Daredevil is Matt Murdock, that that's Karen's kind of confidential source, almost a bit like um, attorney-client privilege. In the world of journalism, does that equally stand? Um, or is it that she really is obligated to tell Alison who Daredevil is, as she thinks it, um, given, you know, she knows that Matt Murdock is Daredevil? So I, I was kind of like, I was, I was a little unclear as to what, the situation was there, but I did like how he kind of flipped it and rounded on her and ultimately gives her that ultimatum to Karen, you know, tell me who is Daredevil or who you think it is or, or quit the bulletin. Basically. Um, it, it's your choice. And then, yeah, we don't see her quit the bulletin, but then we see kind of this all spill out into her phone call, uh, back home to her dad, yeah. where, which is really, really brutal um, as well. You know, I think Karen here is really in bits. Um, she's effectively been given an ultimatum to lose her job. She has just been attacked and lost Jasper Evans. There are the FBI after her friend, Matt Murdock. Um, there is the FBI going after Daredevil, who she knows um, that that wasn't the true Daredevil. Her relationship with Ellison has broken down, and then we see this massive rebuff by her father mm. um, in the um, in the car as she's calling home, where, you know, despite the fact that he says you can call at any time, she's not able to visit. And, um, you know, he, he really makes a cutting remark to her um, when she says that she was just trying to help. Uh, I think it comes back with that's all you ever try to do as though and, and then mess it up. The inference is that and it never works. So why do you keep trying to help? And it's a really it's a real tough moment. Um, you really feel for, for Karen Page in this moment. You really do. And it, and it is that thing of she's going, can I just stay for a few days with you because everything's falling apart? And he goes, you can call whenever you want to, and then insults her immediately afterwards and goes goodnight and hangs up. Like It's not like she's going to be able to make another phone call back to him or something else, or if something else goes wrong in the future. It really does feel like he's saying to her, I'm saying to you, you can call whenever you want to, but I don't really want you to call or visit or come anywhere near us again. So things were bad uh, for him. And to quote Guardians of the Galaxy, this guy is an a-hole. This is his daughter. At the end of the day, I don't care what happens. She's calling in desperation and it feels like she hasn't been in contact with him at all for years. And this is how he treats her. Yeah, not cool. Oh, just give us the Karen flashback episode now. Give us the explanation of what happened. We're just getting drip fed 
more and more information. I'm happy to know that it's probably coming in this season. Um, there's been much more allusion to it this season than there has in any other season before. Um, and I'm happy to see her have the fall so that we can see what the flashback is, that we can see what actually happened in the future. Um, the story right now is really exciting and really interesting for me. So I don't want them to just put the brakes on and show us a flashback episode next episode. I want to see what actually is happening and what actually is going on. So I, I agree with you. I'm sorry. I'm just, it's more, I will riot if we get to episode 13 <laughs> and we still don't know the full history of Karen. Mm-hmm. No. And I agree. I don't think they should put a full on brakes. I think it should be like, she gets super drunk and tells the history of everything <laughs> to Foggy. Right. Um, and we get a 15 minute monologue kind of thing. Cause mm. the actress could definitely pull that off. It's just, I, I need to know why a father would do that mm-hmm. and why he would say, that's what you do, Karen. And no, you cannot stay here. And he knows that she's been shot at because exactly. dad does say, Oh, that's where you worked, wasn't it? Were yeah. you there? So obviously he is following her. Like it, it's a, it's very, very strange. But yeah, I, I just, I, I'm going to riot. <laughs> I'm putting it officially here. I, I will fully hulk out. <laughs> well, let's hope that doesn't happen. But hopefully we'll get some more details on Carapage in the future. Um, let's get on to our final case note. Case note number five. My favourite quote from the episode, your desperation diminishes you, special agent. As we have Agent Nadim confronting Fisk, finally, the information that he's been given from Foggy Nelson and Karen Page, as we mentioned earlier on, is really seeping into Agent Nadim. He is really realising how much he's being manipulated, and nothing tells him that more than when he opens the door to Fisk's apartment, which he doesn't seem to have been around for a few days, and sees the luxury that Wilson Fisk is living in right now. He just seems highly offended by the idea that this guy is living. Everybody's been telling him he's living in this penthouse and he's getting great food and everything's going great for him. But when you walk into that room and you see what he's been surrounded by, the artwork, the furniture he's got, the last time Nadim was there, if I remember correctly, there was one table with an uncomfortable chair in the middle of the room where Fisk was. And now he's yeah. sur- surrounded in the lap of luxury right now. So you can see why Nadim is suddenly going, oh, hang on a second. Maybe they have a point here. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it comes as a real shock to him. Mm-hmm. Um, but this interaction between Nadim and, and Fisk, I think, is really intriguing because, yeah, it, it's like Nadim is really just coming out with it and saying, tell me you haven't uh, been stringing me along here, that this is all above board and legitimate, that you're not playing and manipulating the FBI. Mm -hmm. And of course, in Fisk's sort of indomitable kind of spirit, he's like, have a little faith in me, special agent Nadim. I'm a better man than Jiggy. Uh, Because... We we have the Jiggy tale. We've had the Norwegian, uh, the old Norwegian man, mm-hmm. uh, Mr. Larson, and now we have the Jiggy tale uh, from the Deem. The, the person who would always seem like the good guy, uh, but ultimately is filling uh, the trunk of your car and your child's bedroom with about 10 kilos worth of heroin. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a real kind of interesting uh, moment. And one that I don't think is fully resolved. I mean, in the sense that Nadim comes out of the, I think, thinking, yes, this is it. He's being manipulated. But it's it's really, what is he going to do? That's what I, I really want to know. How is he going to get 
some kind of resolution on this because he's so linked to Wilson Fisk, his release, the takedown of the Albanians, all of this is absolutely centered on him. And what's probably worse is that final moment with Fisk when he asks him those questions, Fisk goes, effectively, get out. I've, I'm not going to give you any more information, Nadim. Get out. Like, this guy works for Nadim, effectively. The only reason he's out of prison is because of the deal that's been done with Nadim. Nadim should have the right to ask him any question he wants and get a yes or no answer or more details if that's what he wants. That's what the deal is. But Fisk just dismisses him and goes, that's it. You're done. Off you go. And also, can I just give a big compliment to the writer for using uh, the story of Jiggy, having Wilson Fisk, Vincent D'Onofrio saying the words, I'm a better man than Jiggy is fantastic. <laughs> those, mm-hmm. those words in his mouth are brilliant. Yeah, I, I think very much it's the, the penny is falling for Nadine. Mm-hmm. But it's one of those, do you know those arcade ones where it's like bouncing everywhere? Like that is slowly what's happening. All the things are kind of lining up. It hasn't tipped the full point yet at this part of the scenes. You're so close to talking about the TV show Tipping Point, Chris, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, that's that's all I want to do. That's literally... So surprise, fellow defenders, we're actually rebranding as Tipping Point. <laughs> <laughs> to give Nadim a little bit of credit, um, I think he doesn't want to believe that he has had the wool pulled over his eyes as much as he has. I think he's trying to make sure that he's been doing the right thing the whole time. That's kind of what he says to his boss, right? That if they give all this information over about Fisk, then that's it. They're done. Their careers are all over and everybody goes free. So I think he's kind of going, right, give me a couple of days. I'll sort this out. I'll get it all lined back up. And even if it is going wrong, maybe I can turn it back to being in the right position and we can be in the right position. I think that's where he kind of feels like. So by the end of this episode, he is believing Karen and Foggy, but he's trying to see if there's any way that he can get himself out of this situation. Yeah, I agree with you on that. We later see him, he goes home for his celebration. The wife has organized his family to come over mm-hmm. for to celebrate his promotion. We again see his brother's wife who, who, who suffered through the cancer treatments. Mm-hmm. We see his brother, we see his father, I believe it is. And then we see the wife giving a great speech. Yeah. And it kind of then descends where she's discovered that he's been lying to her about being in the bulletin and... It looks like he was going to dismiss her completely, and now it's then he kind of goes okay, which is good. It 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 it's a nice moment between to show that he's still human. Yeah, mm-hmm. I love how quickly she flips as well. I love that she's making yeah. that speech in front of the entire family, and then goes, "And I just need a quick word with you in the kitchen. You lied to me. Never lie to me." <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, this is uh, really. Uh, really nice, I think, this interaction between Nadim and his wife. We've seen her come to uh, his office in the hotel, um, you know, saying that the kid, their child is going to um, the uncles or the aunties or to the sisters to to really, um, you know, he can't deal with where his dad is. Um, yeah, he's not telling them the full truth, despite that kind of pep talk uh, by his boss about how he should treat his his child as the the snitch the informant the ci but nonetheless we see that he's got his promotion uh, the pool is starting to be built uh, here um we yeah. have the great cupcake quiz uh with the missing or eaten cupcakes which is you know congratulations uh ray on your promotion that took a little bit of pausing to work out didn't it he's getting his recognition but at the same time 
uh, despite kind of bringing his family back on, on the even keel. Um, there's something there that, you know, his wife is saying this investigation will or is affecting the family. And there is part of me still that I don't think Nadim is with Fisk, or do I? I'm kind of still a little suspicious. Um, I, I'm kind of just feeling that, you know, some of the things that Fisk says to him when he confronts him, I think can be taken two ways. Um, but, you know, your desperation diminishes you, special agent. Great line. It could be a pep talk from Fisk in code saying, don't get desperate you know, make sure you keep a level head. In the same way, I, I think that where he goes, have a little faith in me, Special Agent Nadim, that there is this thing of, you know, you will be rewarded. Maybe I am still clinging on to the fact that that could be the case, but it does look increasingly less likely for sure. But then they do show you that he's getting a pool built into his back garden, which he promised to his son. Yes. But it was too much money. Yeah. So he's got the influx of money with the promotion, which only happened a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of like, yeah, hmm, where, where did that money come from? So they, they they very much are trying to go, no, he's a good guy. He's a good guy. Oh, he's a bad guy. He's a bad guy. Oh, which is he? I totally believe that Nadim is above board now. I'm totally convinced. And I think that was just a little bit of a, a writer flourish to show that everything's going well for him and he doesn't want to lose out. And he says to his wife, I'm trying to keep everything together here. What I do really like about these scenes as well, where he goes home for the party, is we haven't seen him back in his house since the first episode. And they were very specific about him being at home in that first episode and being around the family. And then from then on, it feels like he's been sleeping at his office. He's been trying to keep his entire world from falling apart. I think he's just really worried about his career that he may have built his career on shifting sands and those shifting sands are Fisk and his honesty with them. He believes Fisk is being honest. He believes Fisk is giving over the bad guys that he has made the agreement that he will be. And now suddenly these, the rug is being pulled out from underneath him. So I don't feel that Nadine's made a deal with Fisk. I feel that he's just built his entire castle on shifting sands as the phrase goes. That's a good, yeah, that could be. No, absolutely. It'd be good to see how that goes. But we do get an uninvited guest here at mm-hmm. Nadim's party, uh, the man in black himself, Matt Murdock. Uh, I really like this moment um, of, of Matt confronting Nadim, seeing whether he can work with him. And uh, certainly I think that moment where when they're speaking and Matt Murdock kind of goes, shh, and points up the stairwell as then his son Sammy opens the door, oh. calling down. There's a real nice uh, yeah. move from from Matt Murdock. I think it's very cool how that's captured as well. Yeah. Uh, in the midst of this um, discussion about who would you trust and, and all that, there's this little um, this little moment where we're reconnected as an audience with the skill of Matt Murdock, mm-hmm. which is you know he's got bat hearing effectively. Um, so. Yeah, really sensitive hearing. It is really cool. And what I also like about that scene is that happens directly after the moment with his wife where she says, I just want to make sure you never lie to me. He goes downstairs, Daredevil arrives, and then he instantly says to his son who's asking, Mom wants to know where you are. And he goes, oh, I smashed a bottle of beer down here. There's glass everywhere, Sammy. Don't come down. So instantly after that scene, the next scene in the TV show is him Again, lying to his wife once again, <laughs> yeah. covering up what's going on in his FBI life. Um, yeah, not not very good, right? 
<laughs> so very quickly, before we get back into the Man of Black, he shouldn't have to tell her everything. And this is, sorry, this is part of me getting in this, which is mm-hmm. there are NDAs, there are national security issues. Yep. Personally, in my own work, my partner will ask me, oh, how was work today? I'm like, well, I can't tell you this, but this was really good. Or And sometimes she just wouldn't care either, Chris. And that, and that's, that I understand. Yeah. I think the point here with his wife, and I totally understand this, he's basically saying that he's a desk jockey. He's someone that sits behind his desk and writes up reports. Yes, now three times he's been shot at and almost <laughs> killed and hasn't said to her how much danger he's in. And now he's got daredevil in his basement breaking into his house and effectively hitting him a couple of times while uh while reina deem is trying to fight back against him he does get hit a couple of times and then kind of just covers it up now again i probably would have covered that up if daredevil's in the basement with me i'm not going to call out to my wife and um, there is a vigilante down here don't come down obviously <laughs> i totally understand that there's a guy who might kill you yeah no, 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 stay where you are. He <laughs> might just throw something through the wall and kill it's fine. Yeah. So, um, so I kind of understand why he lied in that situation, but I think her point is valid that he, she knows he works for the FBI. She knows that there's things he can't say to her, but what she wants to know is if he's not safe or if he's gone through a night that was a really bad night where he almost died, she wants to at least be told in the same way that Marcy wanted to be told by Foggy. That's all. Yeah. I get it. So I get if you it. ever That's go through a day where you almost got killed in work, Chris, Tell your wife. <laughs> yeah, I, I, will. I will. And I think it's just she wants to know if he's coming home. Mm-hmm. You know, she's probably had sleepless nights and he's not come back when he said he will do. So it's, yeah, it's just she needs to know when he's going to be around the house. Yeah. Yeah. As I say, we haven't seen him around the house since the first episode. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the reason for this um confrontation within in their home at this moment mm-hmm. so moving back to what we we have old dd in the ha- in the in the house literally um and he we do see that now ray and dean knows that he that there was another daredevil he where he, he suspected like daredevil matt says you know that what that wasn't me and then drops the bombshell that the person who that was was in the works for the FBI. Mm-hmm. For us, the viewer, it's not a shock, but for the the both Matt and Nadim for Ray, this will be a this would be a revelation. Can I say really unusually for me because I do watch these episodes twice? This was a shock. I missed the line from Melvin Potter where he said that it was an FBI agent. I was going. How does Matt know that it's an FBI agent? Is it just the way he moved in the fight? Does he, does he know how FBI agents are trained? I thought he was like using some master mind trick. And then John afterwards went, no, Melvin told him in that discussion. He said, it's an FBI guy. I'm like, oh, okay. So he's not that great a detective. Yeah. No, 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 no. He, he, he's not the world's greatest detective. He's like the... Yeah, he's not Poirot. He's New York's like third best detective. Like your Hell's Kitchen's best. Second best after Jessica Jones, obviously. Yeah. True, actually. So he's not even the best in Hell's Kitchen. I'm starting to feel really bad for Matt. It's like, you have to wait till someone tells you something. All right, all right. So I know how Nadine felt in that moment when Matt reveals it to him. I know exactly how he felt because I was going, oh my God, that's amazing. Oh, okay. Not bad. Right. Uh, You're clutching your pearls. <gasps> oh my stars. Yeah. Like Miss Marple. 
<laughs> Guys, I think that's the end of our top five case notes for this episode. Any other notes about the episode that we haven't talked about at all? Um, I just have one, which is I really liked um, that Wilson Fisk is looking out for Poindexter, who we hear is laying low as ordered mm. after the uh, incident in the Bulletin. But it, it's really that, you know, they know he's got issues um, and that he he gives Felix Manning the instruction to just uh, watch out for Poindexter yeah. to, to make sure that he is okay, or at least that he is... Um, doing what they expect as part of this plan uh, whether there is true uh caring and sharing or, of wilson fisk with poindexter at this stage i don't know but it, it seems as though it's getting there for mm-hmm. sure yeah i really like that as well that's a nice nice little moment um chris anything from you though nothing for me um aside from the the fight with Melvin and Matt, mm-hmm. it, it felt very much like the arkham city games to me right where you just kind of have Matt kind of Jumping out of the shadows, like hitting them up a bit, and then jumping back into the shadows. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. You mean Batman? It, it just, uh, yeah. I do love how he. Yeah, I do love how he disappears into the background as Melvin gets uh, gets arrested. That's a really harsh match, but a nice moment, and you can kind of see why nobody would notice that he's there since Melvin's been the one cracking crates open with FBI members' heads and stuff. You, know, you can kind of see that it was him that was doing it. Uh, really good stuff. Um, just to mention Melvin Potter as well, we actually mentioned this back in Season 1, uh, the first time that we heard about Betsy and heard about Fisk putting pressure on Melvin Potter for Betsy. Once again, that is a moment from the Born Again arc um, that is specifically on the page where Melvin Potter is being forced to make the Daredevil outfit for uh, another person that takes on the mantle of Daredevil to blame Matt Murdock for uh, for an incident. Um, that is Melvin Potter. He specifically says, if I don't do this, Betsy will be killed. So, um, so that's exactly where that came from. It's just interesting that they have taken that one panel in that comic book and used it now three times, I think, or over the course of the last couple of seasons. But it's nice at least we saw, saw Betsy this episode. 100%. That's it for notes. Chris, let's get on to you. Kick, off, kick us off first. Uh, do you defend Daredevil Season 3, Episode 7, Aftermath? I do. Um, this episode was really good. Again, it's there. I have to defend it. But what I'm finding is it did slow down a bit, which is understandable when you are looking at the aftermath of an episode like Episode 6. So there's, it's a tough one, and I get that. I understand that you can't keep the adrenaline pumping after such a... Uh, such an episode otherwise it just wouldn't feel like the daredevil it wouldn't yeah. feel like so they they need to progress the story so I, I i guess what they did and why they're doing it and i it was still good it was good to see melvin like i still love foggy um and his storylines and just seeing more of him i as i said i will riot if we don't see the backstory of Karen very soon <laughs> laid out by the end of this season. If we don't, I'm just, that's, that's it for me. Um, but no, seriously, it's just, it, they're moving her character along. They're, they're more than drip feeding. They're opening the tap just slightly yeah, a bit further. Um, and then Ray seeing that Ray is finally understanding that he's, he may be being played was, it's just good. It's just, I could see some people not enjoying it this episode as much because it follows such an, like, such an action packed episode previously. But no, I, I still do defend this because it does exactly what it does. It moves it on. Um, so yeah, I defend this episode, episode seven of Daredevil. John, do you defend this episode? 
of Daredevil. I do defend Aftermath, this episode of Daredevil. I give it four hospital dinners out of five. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought this had a tough um, remit to get through, um, given uh, the revelation of the Daredevil imposter from the previous episode. Uh, and I thought it did really, uh, really well, in particular around Foggy and Karen and that trauma and how Karen's trauma gets compounded with her phone home, which I completely agree with you, Chris. Uh, this is shaping up quite nicely. The the teasing that is coming out about Karen's background, which we've had now on a, a couple of the episodes. So really intrigued for that. Uh, I love uh, Foggy literally clearing his head and finding out about Fisk's motives. Uh, that moment of clarity uh, coming from him, I thought it was really, really good. Um, the relationship with special agent nadim and matt murdoch now um this tentative few steps towards uh coming together to um focus on who um the man in the daredevil outfit is and how wilson fisk uh can potentially be stopped i love that uh, moment of realization by nadim that he is between a rock and a hard place here uh that he has everything to owe to Wilson Fisk and, and that investigation for his pool, um, his better finances, his promotion, yet uh, these pesky kids in Foggy and Karen uh, really and asking of him some difficult questions and now having the man in black uh, down in his basement. So that, that was really good. I like the fact as well that we didn't really see uh, Poindexter in this episode as well, mm -hmm. that they, he was completely removed from the equation and literally laying low. So this was excellent stuff. So yes, I do defend this episode of Daredevil. So Derek, do you defend episode seven of Daredevil season three? I defend it, yeah, yeah. Um, a bit of a functional episode uh, at times this time. Um, it was really important to see the aftermath of what happened in the bulletin. It's a very important thing to happen. Uh, it seemed like a really good Ray Nadim episode as he starts to put the pieces together. That great moment between him and Fisk uh, within this episode, but not a huge amount here that I'd come back and just watch this episode for. Um, it's nice to see Melvin Potter back again. It's nice to have that kind of resolved, but um, I did like the twist of Melvin Potter putting Daredevil behind bars as he was instructed by Fisk to do. I think that was quite cool, but not a huge amount here that I come back to. It's it's a middling episode of the season for me, but a necessary one. And there's nothing wrong with that. But those are those are needed as well. Um otherwise we would have just people being punched in the face, obviously. So as I've said before, we do need episodes like this as well. But really looking forward to the next episode. Lots of good setup in here. Um, nothing particularly bad about this episode, but nothing particularly amazing today at this time. But um but enjoyed it overall. I think it's time to get on to some feedback as we close out the episode, guys. Sounds like a plan. Tina Brown left some feedback on each of the episodes on the spoiler posts over on our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Defenders TV podcast. Just going to go into the, the thoughts on episode six, the last episode. Uh, she says it's an amazing episode. The collateral damage is piling up. Sorry, but it was not a good plan to have Jasper Evans brought to the bulletin. I know they have this whole we don't know who is enthralled to Fisk thing, but seriously, this is a very bad plan. And stop having Ellis apologize to Karen to build up her character. It's really starting to bother me. There was no way to protect that guy, Jasper Evans. And once again, Karen seems surprised that taking out the criminal class would bring repercussions. Matt will carry this guilt with him along with all of the rest. Puts everyone in such an interesting place for the rest of the series. I know opinions may vary, but this is my hot take. 
Thanks, uh, Tina. At least in this episode, we, Ellis is no longer apologizing to Karen. Mm-hmm. He's given her an ultimatum. Um, so he's not trying to build up the character anymore, which is, I, I, I could see why I think it's more of a mentor mentee kind of situation that we were getting in this. But the, now the, the mentor has turned on the mentee, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think in terms of bringing Jasper to the Bulletin, um, yeah, it, it's an, it's an interesting choice, but I, I think, um, I think they were holding him there. I don't think it was bringing him permanently. I think it was more of a, a holding situation because the FBI were on the way to bring him into custody. And I suppose really all they wanted to do at that moment was get it on tape, uh, his confession, his, uh, opinion and and point of view of what's happened so i i I think it was more of a holding exercise i don't think it it was not supposed to be some the way it went down jasper evans was supposed to give his story in fbi custody and he was simply being held here but certainly um we see wilson fisk his tentacles he has a lot of contacts um and he will use them to maximum effect uh, and and timing in order to protect uh, what he is doing yeah i wonder if the fbi were dragging their feet on their way to the bulletin i'd say so exactly and and this is the thing it was led by nadim it's kind of what i was mentioning today did he know what the timing was mm. so that he would arrive at that critical moment um so it's i don't know it's yeah uh, i could go around and uh, around and around and around in circles thinking nadim is he isn't he is he isn't he isn't is he isn't he at least i know that poindexter is yes exactly, exactly. john do you want to say the next piece of yeah robert phillips also left some thoughts on episode six he says this was a hard and brilliant episode to watch. The Daredevil becoming supervillain was an arc I thought Matt might take, but Dex doing it may be the salvation that Matthew needs. Also lovely to see Sister Maggie recounting her tales of Matt's childhood and Nadine staying true, possibly the only FBI agent I now believe in. Good on you, Robert. Excellent, yeah. We have to believe in Agent Nadine, or do we? We also have some feedback on episode 7 from our Facebook group. First up is Tina Brown. She says, Oh, now Maggie is doing the apologize for the stupid plan thing? Stop it. Go, Ellis. And go, Foggy and Marcy, too. This was such a human reaction to a dangerous situation. I loved it. And Agent Nadim is able to look past his own ego and admit he might be wrong. I am loving his character development. Mm -hmm. Again, his initial reaction to possibly being made a fool of was so human. But rather than stick his head in the sand, he decides he can't ignore his doubts any longer. Maggie's not apologizing, kinda. Yeah. I think it's interesting, isn't it? Is she apologizing or does she know matt murdoch you know she has brought him up um in the orphanage as a kid uh she knows maybe how to soothe him down settle him down um for sure so it's interesting because yeah i mean matt does go full on at her and and blames her for stuff uh, at the start here which i i thought was kind of a bit uncalled for so Uh uh, i like the fact that you know 
to me, I saw this as her trying to soothe um, his broken arms, legs, face, and everything else, because uh, he's pretty beaten up, to he be is. fair. He is, and I do love that her response is, well, then I'm just never going to give you my opinion again, am I? Which is, <laughs> which is exactly what everybody that doesn't take responsibility for their actions says. Uh, and then instantly, I think the next conversation they have or the next sentence they have is her giving the opinion and Matt kind of criticizing her about it as well. <laughs> yeah. so, uh, so I'm not sure whether she's taking responsibility or apologizing for the stupid plan. I think she's saying anything she can just to maybe get the opportunity to stop him from bleeding for a couple of minutes. Um, she does care for him. So. Yeah, but uh, thank you, Tina, so much. Yeah, I completely love the character development of Nadim here, mm-hmm. um, especially with his family. Uh, and again, Foggy and Ellis um, certainly, I think, uh, are really good with their reaction to the whole thing that they've just gone through uh really good mm-hmm. yeah um we have some more feedback from episode seven through Anya Lia. uh she says jasper evans is dead he leaves a son behind and that's on me so we have son without a father and the desperation in matt's voice telling this to sister maggie Charlie Cox is just killing it. I can hear the entire life story of Matt Murdock in this single line. His drives and motivations and deepest fear all in one sentence. Was it only for the scene? I would still love this episode. Mm. But then there is some excellent writing as well. All those mobile phones in their plastic bags, all those text messages, it's gut-wrenching. And of course, Fisk is five steps ahead all the time. He even has his own control room too. Well, control things from. (laughs) How could you ever think he would leave a loose end like Melvin Potter? My heart finally breaks when Matt, despite all his pain and tiredness, forces himself to go and find Betsy and warn her, just to get her yelling at him that he is just like Fisk. My hope so far in this season that two good grown-up men will be able to actually talk to each other. Uh, Thank you so much, Anya. Yes, it's a really interesting uh, moment where Matt probably does one thing that his old self, his old daredevil would have done. You know, we say that he would have looked to have saved Melvin Potter, or at least tried to. And in in all of the chaos going on, he does take time out to warn Betsy mm. uh, and just say, you've been warned, if nothing else. Um, and I thought that was an interesting little uh, aside, definitely. Yeah, but he does do it in a very harsh way. Oh, he definitely. Goes, he goes to her and says, get out of town, you can't save Melvin. You know, like, obviously her instinct would be to go and protect her partner um, who is being taken down by the police. You know, that would be the instinct. Uh, but he tells her, no, just get out of town or else you're going to die too. Pretty harsh. He is pretty harsh in this mm-hmm. one, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, thank you so much, as usual. And if you have enjoyed all seven episodes of our review of this season so far, don't forget to jump over to Apple Podcasts and share the love by sharing the podcast and writing us a review. Every review counts. So even if it's not on Apple Podcasts, make sure over on Spotify or Google Podcasts, make sure you write reviews there as well. All the love helps. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for being with us. Subscribe. Make sure you've subscribed at all of our podcast areas over at defenderstvpodcast.com you can find links to all the areas we are on our next episode will be for daredevil season three episode eight upstairs downstairs and it's out later this week yes i believe that's a costume drama from the 1900s so we're going to see matt murdoch dressed up as a uh upper classman upstairs 
dealing with the servants downstairs or the other way around? Would he be a yeah. servant downstairs dealing with Fisk upstairs, would you think? I was thinking it was some kind of 70s uh, sitcom mm-hmm. uh, from the BBC or ITV. <laughs> I can't remember. Upstairs Downstairs was definitely not a sitcom. It was the precursor to um, to Downton Abbey, basically. Oh, uh, like Class Warfare. Yeah, Excellent. basically. So we'll see how that plays out at our next episode of Daredevil. Thanks so much for joining us, fellow defenders. Yeah, thank you so much, fellow defenders, for joining us. As always, it's been a pleasure. And we will speak with you again soon. Bye.